Please join me in today's scripture reading, and this will be from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. In our Pew Bibles, this will be on page 979. So, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, last week's message was more of an introduction to spiritual warfare, and so in the next several weeks we're going to be um, digging a little bit more into uh, chapter 6. This morning, just verses 10 through 13. And Paul here is calling for believers in Jesus to be ready, to be alert, to be aware, and suited up against this, this enemy, an enemy who's crafty, powerful, evil, cunning, lying, known as the devil, the evil one, Satan. You, you can read all these different names for him in the Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 8, it reads this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We clearly have an enemy, and as believers in Jesus, we don't seek to make enemies, but evil and powers of darkness are enemies of Christ. Now, before faith in Jesus Christ, we were all enemies of Christ. We were all dead in our sins, and we, like everyone else, we were common. In other words, we were unholy people, not holy people. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And this phrase, like the rest of mankind, is pointing out this unholiness, this unrighteousness of the unredeemed, the unsaved. That we were all once separated from God in the darkness and in the foolishness of our own bodies and of our own minds, but no longer with Christ in our lives. That we are now spiritually awakened, that we are alive. And so how does this happen? We look back to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And the same is true for anyone hearing this word today. When you hear the gospel of your salvation, believe in Jesus, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you are made holy. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are no longer common. You are changed from an enemy of Jesus Christ to a friend of Jesus Christ. 
And why would anyone even want that? So we look back to Ephesians 1, starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Why is because you have an eternal purpose in this universe. You have a purpose in eternity. And this dark, crafty enemy has people distracted by focusing on this world, by focusing at this finite time, and not the plan for the fullness of time. Verse 10. And the evil enemy is looking to divide and to bring chaos and destruction in the world, into your world, but God's eternal plan is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That God is bringing restoration, that God is bringing reconciliation, forgiveness, and peace to all those who were once against him. That's our purpose. And the devil continues to cause division. Satan is in rebellion to Christ. He hates the followers of Christ. He hates God's plan because he wants his own plan. He wants to do what he wants. He wants to feel the things he wants to feel and think the way that he wants to think. Does any of this sound familiar? Many people are the children of the devil. And we read of God bringing about forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration, peace. In this letter in Ephesians, we witness in Ephesians 1 how holy God brings about unity to sinful people. How we are reconciled to God, to a holy God in Christ. And then you move on to chapter 2. We then witness how God unites this once divided people into a united church. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. There was this great chasm of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. They hated each other. Christ comes here and he breaks down this wall of hostility so that those who are in Christ are now one church. He breaks down that wall and the evil one is the one that builds these walls and separates people from God. And Jesus Christ shows us these ways of harmony and peace and the devil causes dissonance and chaos while Jesus brings together, Satan destroys. And Jesus calls us to be one in him as Satan divides us all. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now there's this theme of unity throughout the letter of Ephesians, and going into chapter 5, this, this unity is then carried through on these examples of these very intimate relationships that we have, such as marriage and family and work. 
And so this marriage covenant between husband and wife, this covenant between parents and their children, between employers and their employees, it's, it's about unity and reconciling and restoring each other and forgiving each other and living in peace with each other. Now why do I bring this important theme of unity up as we are entering into spiritual warfare? Because when Paul writes in Ephesians 6, verse 10, he starts with, Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so it's all tied, because he's saying finally, all of this is tied, this whole letter is tied to what he wrote before about unity. And so he's warning us, he's warning the church that until the return of Jesus Christ, there's always going to be this hostility between this enemy and this anti-unity, this anti-Christ and those who are in Christ. There's always going to be this hostility. And there is never going to be a let up from the devil against you and against me. Never. This enemy is unrelenting, does not sleep. There will be no peace agreement between us. There's not going to be a ceasefire. There's no treaty between Satan. And he seeks to destroy your life. And he seeks to destroy it with lies and chaos and hostility and division. To bring chaos toward everything God desires to unite in himself, in heaven and on earth. And it's not until the return of Christ that you are going to get a sense of reprieve and peace and understanding how much he loves you. And that's why he died for you, so that you can eventually experience this in eternity. There's this not yet aspect of it. You look at the history of the church and when have we ever experienced complete unity? It's always been disunity. And even right now, even in our own church, there's division. I can find them for you if you're interested. I'll point them out. Always has been. Always. 20 some odd years. Nothing new. Same thing. Because the enemy is real. Always seeking to divide. Always seeking to destroy. And we see the division and the chaos. Not only in the church. But we can look at marriages. We can look at families. We can look at workplaces. Neighborhoods. Communities. Our state. Our country. Globally. It's all over us. It doesn't take too much to find. Now Paul's not writing this so we don't take responsibility of our actions and our words and just blame everything on Satan. Right? We, we talked about this last week where we can go to these extremes where people blame everything on the devil. Like the devil made me eat the cheesecake that I had last night. That was terrible. But I was, you know, I'm going to have one bite two slices later. But... <laughs> And then there's those who just are on the other extreme and they just neglect the devil. They are naive in terms of the involvement of these spiritual forces and darkness. And no, Paul is writing this to us to remind us of a, a real hostile enemy and who we are facing. And we do our part living in Christ and in Christ we don't neglect that we have an enemy seeking to destroy everything that stands for Christ. And as we live in this world that is full of idolatry, and as Nathan, one of our elders, has been speaking about this, 
idolatry that we have, whether that be even really good things like family, or we have these good ideologies, or whether it's something as simple as materialism or comforts or pleasure. We have all of these idols all around us, and there's this anti-God expression that is found everywhere, all around us, and it continues to bombard us from every single angle, and we're always confronted by it face to face. That we are even in it when we have become new in Christ. We still live in it, and we are actually drawn towards those things that are opposed to Christ. I'm going to read something that I think a lot of us can relate to, and it starts in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. Amen? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a, a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. How many of us can relate to that? Like, thank you, Paul. Thank you for writing that. Now, why does it keep happening? We are redeemed, holy, saved, renewed people in Christ where sin no longer reigns in us, but yet it remains in us. And what the devil does is he brings these attractive things of the world with all of its orientation that is opposed and against God to tempt us with it whispering in our ears and showing in front of our faces the things that feel good. That question, is that really what God said, just like in Genesis 3? Is that what he really said? Or you can't believe this book that's written thousands of years ago, can you? Or hundreds of years ago. You can't do those things? That, that's no fun. Do what's fun. And that's such an old way of thinking. That's like, in that context back then, hundreds of years ago, we don't think that way now. And whatever these anti-Christ excuses are, they are still anti-Christ. That's not changed. It is still anti-Christ. And the same evil one who tempted Jesus in the wilderness in the beginning of his ministry for 40 days is the same enemy who those of us who are in Christ face today. It's the same enemy. And this evil, darkness, power, force is not a nameless thing. The devil is not an it. He is a being, a personal being. And he's not alone. You notice verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers 
over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And you notice they're all plural. Now this might be difficult for those who are complete, total materialists to understand. I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of scientists. I'm a scientist nerd. That's my background. And I heard this one podcast of a scientist, a very well-regarded professor from a very prestigious university. And the question to him was posed, so do you believe this in terms of his research? And he said, I don't believe in things. I only look at facts and tell you what I know as a scientist. And I'm thinking, well, that just would suck to be his kid. I mean, think about this, right? I don't believe in you. I only look at the facts and they give me what I know about you. Can you imagine being that guy's child? Like, that's horrible. Like, you, you don't believe, like, I, so I'm a robot. Like, what, what like, it's formulaic, right? You plug me in and I do these things. But that's not us. We're, we're so complex. We're not these robots that you just spit out and like, I only believe in facts. I don't believe in you. If you truly think that it's just facts and that just facts informs what you know, then where is the creativity? Where is art and music and beauty or hope, forgiveness, joy, love? Where, where does any of that come into play if it's just, I just believe in facts? See, most of the world is spiritual. If you just go down to the lake and talk to people, you're going to find, I mean, it's kind of all over the place spiritual, but it's spiritual. Like, nobody's going to just come out and say, like, I just believe in facts and that's it. Like, it's very spiritual. You're like, you bring out a rock and you talk to them, like, what do you think about this? Oh, my goodness, it's like an aura, I feel it. Like, you know, it's, like, it's all spiritual for people. People are, are spiritual beings. And within Christianity, there are only two. It is light, Jesus, God's purpose in all eternity, or darkness, not Jesus, chaos. It's only two. Like, there's only two buckets within Christianity. You go to the lake and it's whatever else. But here in Christianity, there's only two. And there's no question with anyone that we deal with evil in the world. So for this pure materialist, here's a question for you. We all believe in evil. There's no doubt about it. Even you as a materialist cannot say that evil does not exist. So where does it come from? If you are a scientist, if you are a complete materialist, where, how did that even come to being? You can't claim it as a fact and therefore you know because you don't. There's always an element of belief in order to, to answer some of life's deeper questions. And before the return of Jesus Christ, everyone will need to answer whether they believe in who Jesus says he is. For those of us who do, who, who conform ourselves into the image of Christ, where we bring our thoughts to his thoughts, we bring ourselves into the submission to Christ, to where everything about us is conditioned by what Jesus teaches, hopefully. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to 
Be strong in the Lord, verse 10. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, verse 11. And then this is reiterated in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil days and having done all to stand firm. That you and I are in this fight. We're in this battle right now. We are in a spiritual conflict of eternal significance that is being worked out in our everyday lives. So, it's important to keep in mind the rest of Paul's letter as we go into this next section of spiritual warfare in chapter 6 because our everyday lives include chapter 5, those most intimate relationships in our life like marriage and family and work all of those things will be under attack. They will be disrupted by the schemes of the devil. And Satan is not exclusively attacking those three relationships. It's in all of your existence. Those are just the ones brought up in chapter 5. Paul's bringing up the ones that are like the most significant, the most relatable in terms of those people and the most intimate. But actually... It works in all ways, doesn't it? In relationships you didn't even understand, like your neighbor is not being very neighborly, and you got to figure that out. For those who are not yet children of God, Satan will do everything he can to prevent you from entering into the kingdom of God. Everything. And for those of us who are children of God, the evil one will do everything he can possibly do to derail you from living as a child of God. Everything. He will do everything in his power to prevent an orphan of God from being adopted as a child of God. He will do everything in his power to viciously interfere with a child of God living as a child of God, whether it's in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace, in your church, whatever it will be, he will sow these divisions, chaos, doubt, shame, guilt, destruction into your life. He will attack you intellectually, physically, spiritually, psychologically, morally, any which way to rob you of the assurance you have in Christ. He will attempt to do that. The devil is powerful, but the power is limited. And we are to live as who we are, as children of God, not as children of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The cosmic powers over this present darkness have been defeated. But there's this not yet aspect of being completely defeated. Two weeks ago we celebrated Easter where Christ defeated death. But it's not completely defeated because people are still dying. We still experience death. Even though the victory is complete but the ultimate outcome of it has not taken effect. And so I liken it to chess. Right? The resurrection of Christ is checkmate. It's checkmate. It's, it's done. It's over. But then 
there's still this not yet aspect where the other person that you've just checkmated is trying to move all the different pieces around even though the game's really over, right? But he's still like moving the pieces around. So God is just saying, it's done. It's checkmate. Live in that. Be strong. The imperative from Paul is to be strong, not attempt to be strong or try to be strong. He's saying, be strong. And we can be strong because of who we are in Christ. That this is already available to us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul is not writing to be strong in yourself and in your own abilities. He's saying be strong in the Lord. And this is something really dangerous because we're always telling, like, be strong. Like, I I can do it. I just need to read more books. I just need to work out more. I just need to whatever. Not spiritually. You're going to lose. Spiritually, we need to be strong in the Lord. You don't strengthen yourself any other way. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? You notice that it's God's work. And at the beginning of Paul's letter, he wrote about his prayers for the Ephesians and all the indicatives of being in Christ in chapters 1 through 4. And now that we understand what we have in Christ from chapters 1 through 4, now we live in that. And then you get the imperatives in chapters 4 through 6. That we are to be strong in the Lord. When when we're faced with these spiritual battles, be strong. Know that God loves us, forgives us, empowers us, helps, comforts, encourages, secures you. Not because of your own merit and because of who you are and what you've done. It's all because of His grace. All because of His mercy. And in Christ, then you can stand firm. Not because of who you are or what you've done. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil... And then verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now before we're told to stand firm, we're told to put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, and then to take up the whole armor of God, verse 13. And we need to rest in what God has provided for us and and do what he instructs, to rest in our provisions and then to do what we're instructed to do take a look at philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 12 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure so we are given salvation And we can rest in that provision. Rest in what God has provided. And then we work that out. We work out that that salvation that he already gave us. That we stand firm with that. Same with standing firm. It's the same thing. We've been provided this whole armor of God. So put it on and then stand firm. Don't get tossed around. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now we'll get into these pieces of armor in the following weeks, but in 
terms of like this whole full armor of God, it's essentially faith in the gospel. And we're not just trying on different pieces of armor and then saying like, we know I actually like this helmet better than my chest plate or this belt is better than my shoes or anything like that. It's not like that. It's essentially like put on the whole thing. And the whole thing essentially is the gospel. It's what we are provided with. Now the evil one doesn't want us to have this armor. He wants us to leave it behind. He wants us to leave behind truth, to leave behind righteousness and peace and faith, the gospel. He wants us to leave all of that behind. And one of the strategies of the devil is to dilute the gospel, to just water it down, to take our eyes off of our own sin and our need for Christ to focus on being good people. To focus on being a good citizen. Where essentially you don't even need the church to tell you about the gospel. You can just join some philanthropic organization and do the same thing that a lot of churches are already doing. That's not the church. We are to arm people with the gospel. It's what arms us for this spiritual battle of eternity. It's not just about being a good person, even though that is a natural byproduct of following Christ. Because this spiritual battle has not changed. Satan still wants us to be distracted by the war at hand. He wants us to be tricked into thinking that it is all about us and that we can initiate good in the world and bring peace to the world and do everything good for the world. How have we done? How have we done? Thousands of years of recorded human history. How have we done? We're no better than 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. We're so-called evolving into a better humanity. We're worse we have the ability to kill many more people today in an instant than in any other time in history. It's all about us focusing on Christ and being in Christ. That in Christ we are saved despite this evil within us and the evil around us. To recognize we're not that good. We're not that good. Only Christ is good. He is the victor over death, not us. And so don't lose sight of the enemy. Your biggest battle inside of your house is not your husband. It is not your wife. It is not your parent. It is not your child. Your biggest battle at work is not your boss or the people that you've hired. Don't lose sight of the true enemy and get focused on the other people that you are to extend love to and forgiveness and joy and peace and reconciliation and forgiveness. Be strong. Stand firm. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for using your servant Paul to remind us of your word. That we already have your truth that we already have your gospel. And so as we rest in that, knowing that we have this armor with us, that we are to stand firm, that we are to be strong. God, it's so tempting because all around us we do have these things pulling us in different ways. 
And we ask, God, for your spirit to empower us to endure those attacks, to see you through all of it, and to hold on to you. I pray, Lord, for a softness of heart to receive from you, a softness of heart, Lord, to receive forgiveness as well as to extend it, to desire restoration and reconciliation with you as well as with those we are at war with, but that we are able to look past the person and realize, Lord, there are some evil things at work that are wanting to cause division in our most intimate relationships. Pray your blessing upon this church and these people here, Lord. Thank you so much for them, and I pray, Lord, that your word rests deeply in their mind and in their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, let's take that out and have that together. If you don't have that, uh, just raise your hand and we'll get that to you. Let's take that wafer out first and symbolizing the broken body of Christ, the victor over death, knowing that we experience these hardships together, we bear each other's burdens together until the return of Christ. Let's take this. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us, cleansing us of our sins. We take this in remembrance of Jesus. Lord Jesus, these elements that we take every week, reminding us of your promises, your grace, mercy, and love towards us, I pray, Lord, that it is not just on Sundays where we're reminded of this, but throughout the week, God, that we are sustained by being in you, in your name. Amen.